Welcome to Brazen Education with Educator Barnes, a podcast with a focus on speaking your truth, being transparent to help others, and having no shame about it. Because we can't move forward until the truth is known. Welcome back to another episode of Brazen Education. Today, we're talking about math. Um, We've done a lot of um, talking about different educational issues, um, a lot about literacy, but we really haven't um, taken the time to dive into the math conversation. So I hope that this is going to be um, one of many conversations where I get to talk to educators about math. With us today, we have Akil Parker. He is the CEO of All This Math. He's a, um, a professor and educator in Philadelphia. Um, Akil, uh, welcome to Brazen Education. Good afternoon. Thanks, thanks for having me on. So I'm going to start with the question that maybe a lot of people have. All this math, what is it and what led you to um, get on this path to start all this math? What need were you trying to fill? Well, all this math is, um, I guess if I could be dramatic about it, I would say it's like a movement. You know, Mm. Um, it started out as just a simple math tutoring company. And then, you know, I started to expand out and get into educational consulting work and, you know, professional development, teacher coaching, things of that nature. And during the pandemic, I started, um, I started a YouTube channel. And then as time progressed, you know, I was adding content and adding videos to my YouTube channel on, on a regular basis because I realized that, you know, while I was tutoring, um, I'm only one person and also mm-hmm. recruited my son to tutor with me. So, you know, the two of us, we couldn't tutor everybody. And some people didn't have the resources or didn't have the means. So I was like, well, if you have, you know, a laptop, a tablet, a, um, a smartphone, you know, and you have Wi-Fi, then you should also be able to get access to top tier quality, you know, math instruction, you know, and tutorial videos. So I started the YouTube channel and, you know, we've been rocking with that since uh, 2020. And currently we have almost 600 videos uploaded and across mm. different topics of math from elementary level math, you know, learning how to, you know, add, subtract, multiply, and divide all the way up through calculus. So all this math also offers that. And we recently just published a book called How to Use All This Math Volume One, because mm-hmm. I'm our parents to be able to have the confidence and the ability themselves to prepare their children for math class. And that I'm really trying to work toward a, a significant paradigm shift because a lot of us don't think of having to prepare our children for math class. We have all been, I think most of us, if not all of us have been conditioned to just think that, well, well, we have our responsibility as parents is to make sure our children are well-behaved, they're clothed, they're, they arrive on time, and you know, they're respectful to the, to the teacher and, and they're present, right? Um, and then, you know, the, y'all the teachers, y'all the classroom teachers, y'all went to college and the principal, y'all all went to college and everything, and y'all can teach all the math, right? And we see that that doesn't really work. So the book, in addition to the YouTube channel, but the book is an actual tangible resource that can help you as a parent develop strong a strong foundation for your children in arithmetic as well as in algebra. Now this is volume one. Volume two is gonna, it's kinda, it doesn't have much geometry in volume one, but volume two, which is already in the works, is gonna have a significant portion of geometry in it. So what I'm trying to do is empower our community and empower our parents to be able to take everyday activities, because each chapter, there are 20 short chapters in the book, 
each chapter is is where I take an everyday activity, something like, you know, going to the grocery store, coming in the kitchen to get a snack, um, taking a ride in the car to run errands or do whatever you got to do. And I show you how those can be actual teachable moments where you can show, you know, algebra, you can show arithmetic skills and you can reinforce them and it can become a daily practice. Because what I also want to have happen is a lot of our children, as I said, a lot of our children are not, are not prepared for math class, right? So, but they are prepared for ELA class a lot of times, right? Mm -hmm. Even though there may be significant deficiencies, even still the children don't have the same level of anxiety when they go into English class or ELA class as they do in math class, in part because when you're growing up in a household and English is the first language, you know, you're, you're having conversations in English, you're reading the English language, you're writing in the English language. So you're already kind of innately practicing the English language in preparation for when you go into English class as a young child. So then when you look on the board, you see words and you see, okay, these are the vocabulary terms for today. A lot of students might be like, oh yeah, we use that all the time in my household. That's no, that ain't no big thing, right? Some students might not know it, but then a lot of students are still gonna be confident because they're more familiar. However, in math class, a lot of students are kind of going into math class as a blank slate not really knowing anything, right? Which leads to that anxiety and the development of that math phobia, you know, consequentially. So consequently. So what I'm trying to do is avoid and protect, help help parents to protect their children from developing math anxiety and developing math phobia. Because it's out there. And if they go into math class unprepared, if they go into math class without knowing what a percentage is, without knowing what a ratio or a proportion is, without understanding their multiplication facts without knowing their addition facts already, different things like that without understanding and having a command of fractions as a concept and also how to add and subtract, multiply and divide fractions, which are a lot of things that we have traditionally just allowed for schools to take the full responsibility of, right? But we see what has happened, right? So what I want is to provide this resource so that parents can feel comfortable taking that ownership of that. So kind of the, what the book also kind of is, it's like a, it's like a guide for parents that see the value in homeschooling, but they can't homeschool for whatever reason. So I'm like, well, cool. Even if you work a nine to five in the time that you are spending around your children, I'm going to show you what the teachable moments are that are right in front of you that you can capitalize on and you can leverage and you can take those opportunities and say, so, you know, y'all are just riding it. Like if you're driving to school in the morning to take your children to drop them off at school, it's a lot of opportunities right there that I talk about in the book. You know, or when you pick them up and you're in that, that, the pickup line, you know, and you wait in the line, you know, to pick your kids up and your kids hop in the car and they all are riding home. Y'all might have to stop the grocery store first and all that. I'm going to show you all the opportunities there too. So that's, you know, that's what all this math is. So all of that is is part of the offering of all this math. But what I'm really trying to do is I'm, I'm trying to teach math to the entire black community. I really am. Um, and I want to also empower parents to be able to feel confident to help their own children with their math homework. You know, because a lot of parents have what I call a, uh, a homework help ceiling. Mm. Different parents hit that ceiling at different ages and levels or grades for their children. Some hit that ceiling at like third grade, some hit it at sixth grade, some hit it at seventh grade. But I have a this kind of wild notion that parents should be able to help their child with their math homework for as long as they live in their house. So if you got a 12th a 12th grader taking pre-calculus and he's trying to grab hyperbolas and ellipses and, and parabolas, I want you to be able to do that. I want you to understand how to help them with that, right? And that's what the YouTube channel is for. 
you know so that's and kind of that kind of gives a um kind of somewhat of a synopsis of like what you know all this math is about and what we're trying to do well i one of the things that you hear when you hear about math you know you hear people say well i'm not a math person um i don't do math which is interesting enough, you never really hear people saying, I'm not a reading person, I'm not a writing person. That's not a thing we say. But in society, we get real comfortable with saying, like, I'm not a math person. Additionally, you have parents who are like, oh, this is that new math. I can't do this new math. So how do you, through your work um, with all this math, how do you um, go up against those notions where, where you have grownups who feel like, I'm not a math person, I can't do math. This new math, they teach you math in some different way. I can't pick it up. You know, buddy, you're on your own. Like, what do you, how, how are you addressing that through your work? So I try to stay consistent with like, you know, adding content and, you know, having a, a, a presence on social media and, you know, trying to be like, you know, try to uh, capitalize on like a lot of the uh, current trends and, and popular culture and whatnot and um, try to make people more comfortable with math. Because one, one of the things I say is, you know, kind of part of our mission at All This Math is to improve the relationship between the black community and mathematics because it really is a relational issue it's a relationship issue like it's kind of like a it's kind of like uh it's an uncomfortable relationship that a lot of people have with math due to some maybe some educational some traumatic educational experiences that they had when they were young that were never repaired they never healed from basically you know um and a lot of had them you know even like i've had them you know even though for the majority, the vast majority of my K through 12 experience, you know, math was cool. You know, I was I was good, you know, in my math classes, but I definitely had some rough patches that I even think about. You know, I think about from time to time when I'm when I'm in tutoring sessions or when a student sends me his his or her work in advance and I'm looking over it and I'm thinking about, oh man, like, you know, logarithms, you know what I mean? And I'm like, you know, and I get a little nervous, but then I calm down and I'm like, no, wait, no, you know how to do this, right? You know, so it's like that, like self-doubt and that imposter syndrome creeps up even within me, you know, sometimes. But I'm able to overcome it because there's demonstrated evidence that I'm and I'm like that, you know, shows me that, no, I kill. You know how to do this. You know, you know how to do this work. Um, but so I try to, you know, I try to, you know, make people more comfortable with with math and make people believe that they can actually learn it, because I think that's a key element, too. And it's sometimes difficult to articulate and even you know necessarily duplicate and show people show other people how to make other people do feel that way but you got to like make a person feel like they can learn something or make a person feel like math is for them because a lot of times things that have there are certain things that happen in public school classrooms charter school classrooms charter um, private school classrooms that lead children to believe that no this class isn't for me and it may be done unwittingly by the teacher or by the just the culture of the school to make people feel that way. So conversely, we can try to like make people feel like they can do math, make people feel like they can succeed in it by showing it to them in a way where it's simplified, you know, showing it to them in a way that makes sense, showing it to, showing it to them in a way that is relevant, you know, um, you know, as an example, you know, because I because I'm so immersed in math. I'm constantly thinking about math and thinking about ways to apply it to everyday life. I went to the laundromat, you know, with my daughter and my son earlier today, like two hours ago. And I dropped the lawn. I did, you know, wash and fold service. So I dropped the laundry off. So they charge a dollar fifty per pound. But also if you if you want to get a comforter washed, they charge you a flat sixteen dollars. 
So as I'm thinking about them, I'm like, wait, and I've never got it. I'm, I'm kind of cheap. So usually I don't, I don't get to watch. I go in there, I watch the comfort of myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just let them do it. Even though that $16 sounds like a lot. Um, but I realized that, wait, this is a Y equals MX, MX plus B situation. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, you know, another day that went by, they think they, they never learned the relevance of Y equals MX plus B. They never learned the relevance of linear equations. They never learned the relevance of, you know, graphs and whatnot. So this is a situation where you can apply Y equals MX plus B, you know, because you're starting out with $16. You've got to pay that, you know, that's flat. That's a flat rate, a flat fee, right? That's for the comforter. That's the variable B. The Y is your total amount that you're going to have to pay, right? Well, that I would have to pay. And that was on my receipt, the total amount. The M is the cost per pound. Right. So they charge like a dollar forty nine. So that's my M variant, my M value, dollar forty nine. X is the number of pounds. Right. So you do the dollar forty nine times the number of pounds and they weigh it. You know, they got the scale in there. You put the bags on the, on the scale. They weigh it for you. And um, plus that sixteen dollars, you know, and what it does, what it enables us to do is be able to predict how much it's going to be instead of like what a lot of us do, even as consumers, we kind of yeah. at the we're kind of beholden to and at the mercy of the store or the store owner. And, you know, they might be using a computer, but the computer could be wrong. Like I was in that same laundromat like a year ago and that computer was out of whack. And that computer was about to charge me like $90 for like a $30, you know, washing fold job. But because wow. I had mind and the awareness, I'm like, wait, hold up. I know this is a dollar 49 per pound and this ain't that heavy. <laughs> so why is this telling me, right? Now, I know a lot of us would feel like we would just have this feeling, this intuitive feeling like, no, nah, that's that seemed a little bit high. But then let somebody tell you like, no, but the computer says this. So if you're a person that doesn't have that confidence in your math ability, oftentimes a lot of us would just go with it and be like, yeah, well, you know, it must be. You know, the computer said it. You know, if the computer said it, the computer can never be wrong. But because mm-hmm. we don't have that our own, you know, internal mathematical ability, we get taken advantage of. So this is another thing that, you know, I don't want people to be taken advantage of, you know. So I want people to, like, develop those math skills, think about what Y equals MX plus B is for, and all the other formulas, all the other formulas that people talk about, you know, like what they can be used for in everyday in everyday experiences. But also even deeper than that, it's really about problem-solving ability, you know, developing problem-solving ability. And that's kind of hidden, you know. That's, that's, that's on a deeper level. Because it's hard to really show somebody that, especially a young person, because while you're like, granted, you may never be in a grocery store and have to take out a piece of paper and use the quadratic formula. Right. Mm-hmm. I've never done it. That's never happened to me. I've never been in a grocery store. Right. Took out, you know, a piece of paper and wrote that X equals, you know, negative B plus minus the square root B squared minus 40C and all that. I never had to do that. But from all those years and all those examples and all those times when I when I was learning it and practicing as a, as a student. When I've taught it over the years, over and over again, just, you know, my mind just kind of being trained and conditioned to think about information in a systematic way and in a very organized and methodical way. I definitely use that when I grew grocery shopping, because if I got a limited amount of resources and a limited amount of money, I say I got $150 to spend on groceries. I know I got to feed this many people and this food got to last for this amount of time. Those are my variables right there. Right. And I want to do this in, a, in the most efficient way possible. So I got to approach this in a certain way. Right. And that, I mean, and we all we all that's another thing, too. A lot of us already do this. We're doing it already anyway. We just don't think that it's math. 
but it really is a mathematical approach to life that a lot of us are already taking. Some people are able to do it better than others. Some people get frustrated and are just like, you know, I don't care. I'm going to just get whatever I want. And then their money runs out and then they got like groceries for like three days. And then like, but that money was supposed to last for two weeks worth of groceries. And then, but they didn't, they didn't think critically and think strategically. Right. Um, but yeah, but you know, so that these are, these are some of the things that, you know, I try to do to try to help parents to just kind of see like how, you know, they can be a quote unquote math person because anybody can be a math person. There's no math gene. You know, a lot of people say there's a math gene, but um, you know, you just have to, you have to be taught, you know, certain skills and then you have to have the opportunity to practice on a regular. So, so you're really saying it's really about perspective because I think most people assume that literacy is all around them, right? You have words on books, you know, even if I'm typing the text messages, even if I'm using short language, I am using literacy, I'm communicating. But I think sometimes people don't think about like, there's literally math all around me all the time. And we're not even explicit. Cause I think about my own boys, I have identical twin sons who are 12 now. Um, but when we in the store and I said, well, what, what would the sell tax be on this? Because mm-hmm. I told them, you don't ever want to be in the situation where you've gotten up to the register they done ringed up all your food and your items, and then you were short money. First yeah. of all, everybody behind you going to be irritated. <laughs> but second of all, you should have a plan for yourself. You should be able to guess if you if you got 20 bucks for whatever you need to get, you should be under that 20 bucks and not be at the register nervous as the prices are going up. So uh, even thinking about, and even as a parent, I have to be more cognizant of like, oh, I need to stop and actually have this conversation because many times we do these things in our head. We yeah. do these things in our heads as adults and we and really didn't think about, oh, I should probably say this to my, my son. Uh, my background is literacy, so I do a lot of stuff with literacy. And one of the things I have found is that some teachers are not confident in their literacy skills. So in your work, do you feel that some of the adults um, that um, struggle with math are also people that are teaching math? And if so, um, how have you helped tackle that in your work when you have the teacher saying, I don't know how to teach this math skill to my students? So I would say definitely there's a lot of quote unquote math teachers that really don't that are not content area specialists. They mm. don't mastery. And, and I would even say that, you know, when I started my teaching career, I, w- I was in that group. I would be in that category. I think I'm a. I have mastery at this level and I've had it for several years. But when I first started back in 2005, I really didn't. Um, even though I knew a lot of math, because um, then when you get into pedagogy, that's a whole other thing. Right. How to mm-hmm. teach it. Because, you know, that's why, like, a lot of students complain about college professors because you got, you know, somebody that's got a Ph.D. in pure math and they've been, you know, they was doing calculus when they was eight years old and all that. And they, they know the content, you know, to a certain degree. But they can't you can't show it to me, though, because you may have learned it a certain way and you learn in a way that works for you mm-hmm. in terms of differentiating instruction. That's foreign to you because you've never cared enough to think about it necessarily in different ways or how to explain it to a person with a different perspective from you, different background from you. Right. So another thing I would say, too, is that a lot of teachers are probably in the same situation that I was in early on, which is. They had a strong procedural understanding of mathematics while lacking a conceptual understanding of mathematics Mm. because I was the type of student where, you know, if you give me 
um, just give me the formula. My whole thing is, look, just give me the formula. Once you show me how to take the numbers and replace the letters and then go through and just use order of operations or, you know, use whatever method I need to use to get to the answer and solve for the variable or whatever, I'm cool. I like that, you know, because that when I was young, that reminded me of playing video games because in a video game, all you're doing is looking for patterns so you can beat. So math to me was the same way. I'm just looking for the pattern. Oh, when I see a problem that looks like this, this is what I got to do. Okay, and it works every time, no matter what numbers are in there. When I see a problem that looks like this, I got to do this different thing. And when it works every time, no matter what number, no matter what numbers are in there, right? But if you ask me, and you ask a lot of people, well, why does this work? Why does long division work? Like I can memorize, like yeah, long division, divide, multiply, subtract. I tell students that all the time. DMS, right? Remember that DMS, divide, multiply, subtract, then drop the number down, start the process over again. But back in the day, I couldn't explain to you why division made sense. And I couldn't explain to you what actually is happening when you're dividing. And I could definitely couldn't explain to you, well, why is division essentially repeated subtraction? I couldn't tell you that. I didn't know. And I didn't care. Right. But I think that if you're going to explain these, these concepts and these topics to children, I think it's very important to be able to make, have those explanations because then the math becomes conversational. Right. As opposed to very like abstract and, you know, overly, I'll say overly objective because it is objective. I think objectivity can be good. But when you're overly objective and there's no you can't make it seem more human, you can't make it interpersonal, then you really and you really can't talk about it, you know, like as, a, as in, a, in a story format, then it's difficult to really explain to a lot of people. Right. But there definitely are a lot of teachers that don't know the math and. You know, but they can kind of hide because mm -hmm. they're seen oftentimes as the smart people, right? Mm -hmm. People in our society, we think that, well, if you're good at math, then you're naturally just, you know, very intelligent. We, we, we tend to think, well, a lot of people won't say it, but they think, oh, well, this person knows math, so they must be, you know, they might be smarter than me, so I'm not even going to try to challenge them, you know? So a lot of people can kind of hide behind that because they're like, okay, well, ain't nobody going to say nothing to me anyway, you know? Um, and, but, and, and then, you know, a lot of times there are other dynamics at play too, because, you know, you get into issues with job security, you know, and you might not want to admit that you need help. Right. Um, cause you don't know what an administrator is going to do. An administrator might take that, that information and use it against you. Right. Like, never know. So you might not want to be as open with sharing the fact that you have some of your own deficiencies. Right. So there's definitely a lot of that. And. That's why, like, I think about, I talked to my students at Cheney about this because I teach, you know, the math methods courses. And a lot of the students want to teach K through eight. Most of them want to teach the low, the low levels, like kindergarten, first grade, second grade. One of the main reasons they want to do that is because they might have been a student that did not excel in mathematics overall. So when they got to high school, algebra was a challenge. Geometry was a challenge. Pre-calculus was a challenge. So they're saying to themselves, yeah, I want to teach but I don't want to teach high level math. Right. So I'm just going to stay here in kindergarten. Right. I want to teach people how to count. I want to teach addition facts, subtraction facts. But therein lies a problem, because if you don't really have a strong understanding of what's happening way down the road, then it's difficult to prepare a young child, you know, and give them the fundamentals and a strong foundation that will enable them to get way down the road. Right. Because I think that when we're teaching, like, you know, my son is four years old. My youngest child is four years old. As I teach him math skills, 
I'm teaching him math skills in terms of like counting and addition and subtraction and whatnot with the idea that one day he's going to be learning calculus. One day I'm going to be showing him calculus, right? I'm going to be, we're going to be talking about derivatives and integrals and chain rule and all that type stuff, right? That's what I'm thinking about. So when I'm explaining these fundamental concepts, I got that in the back of my mind, but that's because I have some understanding of those high, that higher level math. If you don't have the understanding of that higher level math, then when you're showing young children how to count, how to add and subtract, then it's most likely you're not going to be able to make those connections for them. Right. Just like I had, I had, uh, I remember, I'll never forget I had an elementary school teacher. I don't even remember what their name was, but I know for a fact, they told me that you cannot do three minus five. I'll never forget. They told me you can't do three minus five. Well, <laughs> what they meant to say was using positive numbers, but they left that yep. part. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went years until I got to like sixth grade when we started dealing with the number line, learning about positive and negative integers and that just negative numbers until I knew, oh, yeah, oh, you can do three minus five. They lied to me back in the day. Right. So but imagine there, there could there could be people that don't really have a grasp of negative numbers and negative values. So they might be telling children, no, you can't do this. Or you can't do that. Or the explanation might not be as precise. Right. Mm. You know, um, and even and that happens, you know, across a lot of levels. Right. Because a lot of times the definition of something in math that's that would be sufficient for an algebra one class of, with eighth graders might not be sufficient for a college level calculus three class. Right. Right. But again, if your if your goal for those eighth graders is not to get them to a calc three class, if you just want them to get a certain score on a standardized test as an eighth grader and you're not even thinking about them go being in a calculus three class then your explanation is going to be a certain way and that explanation might actually be limiting because when they you know when they get to that next level or get to that higher level then they're going to be confused because they're going to be like wait a minute but i was told and all this time i thought that you couldn't do this so you know then you're going to there's going to be a lot of contradictions that you know present themselves now, when you when you said that whole thing about you uh, three minus five, you can't do it. It reminded me of a teacher telling me that you couldn't start a sentence was because <laughs> and I go through my whole like school and then I get up to high school. And the teacher like, yeah, yeah, you can start a sentence with because and they're going to end up with a comma in the middle of your sentence. And then you'll have the rest. You know, you'll have another independent clause joined to that. But you can't start a sentence with because. But and that teacher didn't want. Yeah. And all the you can't start a sentence with the words and but, you know, yep. or I remember hearing that too. Yeah. So like, don't start with a conjunction because you, but what they were really trying to say to you is like, you're not going to have a complete sentence um, instead of saying, or knowing how to say it, but you brought up so many points because I think we are limiting children. We're limiting children to be like, well, you probably won't. Cause I even remember when I was in high school, people were saying, well, uh, do you do you really want to take, you know, pre-cal? You don't really need to take pre-cal if you're going to go into English. And I'm like, yeah, I do feel like I need to take pre-cal regardless of what I'm going to do when I get, get to college. Um, because when I went to college, I actually started off as an elementary educator, and then I did math education for a little bit, and then I switched over um, to English education. And it wasn't um, not the math was harder or anything. I really wanted to double major in both, but that was a seven-year plan, and I just wasn't trying to be in school for seven years. <laughs> but I, I like both of the subjects equally. But the fact that teachers were saying, oh, you don't need to worry about that, um, so I, I like what you're saying about like not only are we not giving correct 
explanation, the explanation we are giving um, is limiting to children. So recently in the literacy world, you had Emily Hanford, who is a journalist um, who's behind the soul of story. Mm -hmm. um, and it talks about how, you know, schools have been buying curriculum that's not based on research. Um, people have not been teaching, reading correctly. Um, do you feel like we need that type of reckoning in the math world? And if so, what do you think it will look like? Do you think there's some faulty math curriculum out here that we're using that um, that we need to abandon? So I think part of the issue is that NCTM is a monopoly. And they oh, just, tell people what NCTM is if they don't know what that is. National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. So it essentially is, is um, it's a group of mathematicians and math educators that basically get together and decide what the quote unquote best practices are for math. Right. So it's kind of like I guess it's similar with with the in the, within the English you know language learning world, um, you have a body of of people uh, that get together and just decide you know what it is what it, what it should be and what it should not be, and you know it's not a lot of uh, competition or maybe there's there's no you know there aren't like competing you know I mean there might be small independent you know groups of people that may say, well, no, I think we should do it this way or we should do it this way, you know, and that's fine. But a lot of times those small independent voices don't make their way. Their their ideology or their pedagogical style does not make it into a lot of the public schools and the charter schools around the country, right? You might see some of that work in independent spaces, independent educational spaces. Um, but I definitely think that, I mean, I think another issue is this, and this is, this is why I think it's actually revolutionary to learn math and to become proficient and to master math. When you think about it like this, right? Math to me is synonymous with problem solving. Mm. Develop these skills in math. You develop, you know, math competency. What you're simultaneously developing is problem solving competency. But we also have to look, we also have to zoom out and look at the larger picture, right? In Western society, we live in a capitalist, neo-colonial structure, right? Governmental, cultural type structure where oppression is the norm and there's a zero game. So in order for there to be winners, there have to be a lot of losers in this system. So we also have to keep in mind, and again, this is why, this is why learning math is important because of the way it trains us to think. When we think about a problem, Oftentimes, the way the media will present it to us is though it's everybody's problem. Like we're all suffering, like all 8 billion, like we, we identify a problem, we talk about it, and then we say, okay, well, or we're led to believe that all 8 billion people on earth are being harmed by this problem. But in fact, the way things are often structured is, as I said, it's a, it's a zero sum game. And this ties into like game theory, the game theory field of mathematics, zero sum um, two player game theory where in order for there to be winners, they have to be losers. So essentially, if I have a problem, somebody, there's somebody out there that's benefiting from my problem. So if I know how to solve my problem and then I proceed to solve my problem, now that person or that entity that was benefiting from my problem, now they have a problem because they have lost their benefit. Mm. So I'm a firm believer that since I, again, I equate math competency with problem solving competency, 
if we can keep millions of people literally from learning how not only learning from learning how to solve problems but also from even thinking that they should be able to learn how to solve problems or well i should say from thinking that math is relevant because a lot of people think math is irrelevant a lot of people think math is too difficult what they're actually saying is that problem solving is irrelevant and problem solving is too difficult so therefore if we can train and condition millions of people to believe that and think that way all of those groups and entities and individuals that benefit from the problems of these millions of people they are safe and they can be comfortable so i so wow. i think on the and, and this is something that you know i learned from studying the late you know a, late amos wilson one of the things he was he talked about was in an educational system such as this how can we those that control the educational system their issue their challenge the challenge for them is not how to help people to learn but the challenge for them is how can we maintain the status quo of the society? We can keep America the way it's been since it was founded, right? And, but at the same time, give the impression that we actually are trying to change things and that we actually are trying to help people to learn. So it's like, how do we, you know, this is this balancing act, because we really want to keep things the same, right? We really don't want people to learn math. Because if, you know, if people learn math, that's when people start to think, they start to ask questions, you know, they might start to challenge things that have been in place for a very long time. You know, they start questioning authority. They start speaking truth to power. All these types of consequences come just from teaching people math and also even keeping people in the mindset that math is just X plus Y equals 14. Yeah. But in fact, math is really teaching you how to think and how to identify problems how to break down problems, how to solve problems. And that's a transferable skill that you can apply anywhere in your own personal life with a loved one, with a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, your supervisor at your job, the person in, on, on the phone or customer service that's being rude to you when you're trying to get your refund for a service you never got, all of these types of things. The person that cuts you off in traffic, you know, or, on the highway or wherever, all of these things are problems that, you know, if we have a systematic way to approach and solve then life will be better but once you get people to understand and believe firmly no this is irrelevant or it's too hard either it's irrelevant or it's too difficult right a lot of times the irrelevant actually believing that it's too difficult precedes the belief in irrelevancy because a lot of times the belief in irre irrelevancy is like an ego protective measure because it's kind of like well this is dumb anyway like i don't need this anyway right mm. it's admitting like you know i feel like i have a deficiency it's hard sometimes to admit you when you have a deficiency. So I'd rather just say, well, this ain't relevant anyway. I don't need to know this, you know? So that's kind of like a latter response. And what have you seen with females? Because there's a lot of conversation around, not only do you have people saying that I'm not math, I'm not a math person, I can't do math, this is silly. There's also been a lot of conversation around how girls may feel like as because they are a girl, because I mean, you and I both know your gender doesn't, in, it's not a, a limiting factor of your ability to learn math. Um, how, what do you think about that conversation about girls and what can people do differently? If um, they're math educators listening right now, what can they do differently to make girls feel more confident that they can do math and them being a girl has nothing to do with that? So I definitely know that there's a lot of historical precedent and a lot of historical record of a lot of women um, especially, you know, in the black community, just a lot of black women 
that were PhDs in mathematics, that were high level mathematicians, um, that have been high level mathematics teachers. I think those stories need to be told um, more effectively, you know, by people such as myself, you know, the community, the, the general community needs to be educated more on, you know, exemplars and the examples mm -hmm. of black women that were mathematicians, these black women that were PhDs um, that taught math for, you know, many, many years. Um, even going back into into the earlier history, you know, uh, hundreds of years ago or even thousands of years ago and maybe in ancient Kemet, you know, um, going back to Hypatia, you know, even though some textbooks claim that Hypatia was Greek. Um, I always question that. I need to do further research on that myself, but I would like to believe that she was a black woman, right? Um, but yeah, but there's a, those are stories that have to be told because oftentimes you have to see yourself in a subject. And I think that just like with black boys, a similar way with black boys, um, I think black people in general are made to feel by a lot of the prevailing propaganda around mathematics that math just isn't a subject for us. You know, math mm. is like math is some white people stuff, you know? Um, and that's how, and you know, it's, I never hear people explicitly come out and say that like, Pearson um, or Harcourt Brace Jovanovich, the textbook companies won't come out directly and say that. They won't print that in the book, but they'll print a textbook that only has white people in it, you know, that are mathematicians or yeah. formulas uh, that are named after, you know, white folks, Europeans and whatnot. Um, so you're going to, so as a child, an intelligent child may draw that conclusion, arrive at that conclusion anyway. And even some of the math stuff that comes because, you know, like when you get a curriculum, you get all this other swag stuff. And mm -hmm. so a lot of times um, I'll see my colleagues, I'll go into their math classroom and even all the posters they get, they're like white mathematicians. And so yeah. if, you're, if you're sitting in that classroom, you're not a white child. The message that's not maybe being explicitly saying that you can't do math is in your face. What the teacher is teaching this person. There's no 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 melanin <laughs> in these um, these images, so I think that's also important. Just seeing those images and finding ways to, to um, you know incorporate those stories in the class because I know teachers are like I got I got to get through all this curriculum, but sometimes the belief internally in the student to try more may be um, engaged if they just get that snippet of. You know, this moment in math history, I want to tell you about this particular uh, mathematician. So I have a question for you about math facts. So that normally when you talked, you talked about the homework help ceiling. I feel like most parents are like, I think I can help them with some math facts. And I've had heard people like make them do flashcards. They go mm -hmm. do rote memorization, get them on extra math. And and I know you got a lot of research in um, all this math. But when, because that's the thing that that's like the entry point, right? I'm going to teach my kid how to count some numbers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to help them learn these math facts. And uh, even my own boys, they got time on these math facts. So they had to do these certain amount of worksheets under a certain amount of time. What approach do you suggest to parents who, because that's like the floor, like of entry into homework help. What do you, uh, what suggestions do you have for parents who are like, even that is hard. They're like, my kid's not even getting the math facts. So... Well, they're not getting the math facts now. So, are you? We're talking about multiplication facts. So, as a start, that's a good. So, let me clarify. So, uh, typically, what I've seen is like you have you have to know X amount of addition facts, mm -hmm. um, X amount of subtraction facts, X amount of division facts, and the X amount of multiplication facts. So, like multiplication, you know, you got to know it all the way through your twelves. 
you're, you're yeah. you know, you've gotten all the way to 12 times 12. Um, right. and a lot of times, just like parents get reading laws, my kid has to read 20 minutes a night. Um, like my kids had a math log, they had to practice math. Um, so, and even myself as a parent, I'm like, okay, I'm, you're being compliant, but you're like, is this the most effective way? Um, so I know there was like a lot of questions in there, but uh, uh, I think it is. Question. I, so I'm from the school of thought where I look at, you know, I, I played sports growing up. You know, I played football in high school and I played little league baseball for many years. And the only way we became better was through practice and repetition. You know, um, so I'm from the school of thought where I'm like, you know, if you want to become great at something, you got to do it every day. You know, you got to practice it every single day. And then what you'll notice is that it becomes you start to memorize it. You know, like I, I believe that students should, you know, as a, as an example with multiplication facts, there's a school of thought of people that say that we shouldn't memorize multiplication facts. Mm -hmm. And yep. I think that I think they should be memorized. Uh, however, I also think that that memorization should be accompanied by a conceptual understanding of, you know, what is nine times eight? Like, what does that mean? Like, I think a child should be able to not only tell me that nine times eight is 72, but also should be able to tell me intelligently, have an intelligent conversation with me about what that represents, you know, and why, like, I might even ask, like, why is multiplication a gift, essentially, mm. that already learned addition? Mm. Another issue with the way math is taught. When we get to successive levels of math topics, the child children often internalize it as like a punishment. It's like, well, I just learned addition. Why are you teaching me multiplication? This is harder now. Yeah. But again, it goes back to my point earlier about that storytelling aspect in a math class, because I would, you know, I would, I believe that we should just have these convers these candid conversations with children and just let them know, like, look, if we don't do multiplication, when it comes time for you to multiply. 398 times 574. We can figure that out without multiplying, but we, right. not, we don't got time to sit up here and, do, and add 398 plus 398 plus 398 plus 398 574 times. We don't got time for all that. Right. Do it. If you, you like addition so much, cool. Like, you don't want to sit up here. Like, you know how much time that's going to take? You know how much paper that's going to take? <laughs> right. Um, how many resources that's going to take so we have to realize that like if i teach you multiplication what i'm giving you is a shortcut i'm giving you a cheat code right so when we get more into more advanced math a lot of times it's perceived as if oh this is more difficult now now i'm, now I'm angry and i'm tense and i'm anxious now but in fact what i'm doing is i'm giving you a cheat code really so you can like have a stronger mastery of numbers generally and of, of numeracy really so that's really what i'm doing but again that's that's a conversation that you know, teachers have to have with young people, right? Um, parents have to have with their children, because once your child masters a certain amount of addition and subtraction facts, and then you say, okay, now we about to go into multiplication and division, and they get a little tense, they get upset, you know, they might suck their teeth and get angry. It's like you got to like a lot of times as parents, we might just be like, you know, deal with it. You know, we take a very stern approach, but I think we should also, you know, have a conversation with them, like, look you got an option like I, what if if i don't teach you this i'd actually be doing you a disservice because if i don't teach you how to multiply again you know like even like not even like something like nine times eight you know if i don't teach you that nine times eight is 72 or you don't i don't show you how to memorize that or show you why nine times eight is 72 you're gonna be you're gonna have to commit to for the rest of your life 
doing nine plus nine plus nine plus nine plus nine. Okay, nine plus nine is 18. 18 plus nine is 27. 27 plus nine is 36. 36 plus nine is 45. And you got to add them nines eight times. Or you could just say nine times eight is 72. So we don't got, we don't got time for all that. Right? Well, I, I definitely was that parent. My boys picked up addition, subtraction, multiple. When we got to the uh, long division, uh, <laughs> I was like those people, you know, they're like, it's two apples and two more apples. I was like, <laughs> as I actually tapped um, a, um, a teacher friend of mine, I said, <laughs> we're going to fight. <laughs> you, you know what I think, too? I think, like, because I, I see those, those jokes, you know, now's the time of the year when those jokes are real heavy, right? Yep, yep. I think one thing that might, you know, calm some children, maybe not all children. I mean, like I said, the storytelling aspect. You know, if Johnny has five apples... Let's first let's talk about why Johnny got five apples. Like, why does this one little boy need five apples? <laughs> like, let's have, let's let's have that conversation. Like, because people people make the jokes about um, you know only in math class will some will a person have uh, nine hundred and eighty seven bananas and nobody asks a question about like why they have that many bananas. I think we should ask those questions yeah. and we should have a conversation. You know, maybe before we even get into the actual computation. You say like, yo, why does he need five apples? What's he going to do with these five apples? And then maybe you take it to a story. It's like, okay, well, maybe he's going to make a smoothie or something. Or he's going to. And I think this person here, Sebastian, really tapped into it. Sebastian says, from my perspective, I am from Poland. In schools, there are no practical uses of math. Only stories about watermelons, apples, et cetera. Young students um, um, do not realize that math is only a language. And I think we don't talk enough about like math is a language, just mm-hmm. like the words and the sentences. That's the language that we're learning because to your point, you know, you're all around literacy, right? But mm-hmm. when the English teacher comes in, we're teaching you more about that. And it's with math. Math is literally all around us. But like, as you said, some of the, like, why do we need to take three buses to get to this place? Like what is really happening? But when you get to be an adult, there may be actually a real reason why you have chosen this mm-hmm. mode of transportation. And so I think a lot of times in school, we just don't make it real for kids. And so now it's just like, like he said at the beginning, what is the formula to solve this? Right. So I can get the answer, get the grade and get on with my day. But then you don't understand uh, the math. And I think when parents say new math is really that we have all, at least from my perspective, been training at procedural math. Right. You no, know, here's the formula sheet. I remember having that formula sheet in the front of my binder, pull that out, use that and solve the problem. But we now, but if you would ask me, why does this formula work? You know, what is the situation? How does this come together? Why are we using this formula versus that formula? I wouldn't have been able to tell you as a, as a student. I would just be like, uh, you know, that's what the teacher said. The teacher said, use this formula when this occurs, but I couldn't explain why. And I think even though parents may perceive it's taking their kids longer to learn math, I think they're getting more of those problem-solving skills when they're learning math. They are. Like, you know, I wasn't a fan of, like, the Common Core at first because I was you know, like everybody else. I'm, you know, resistant to change, you know, <laughs> like everybody else. But but I had – but fortunate for me, I was placed in a position – I got this position at Cheney where I had to teach it. So in order – they say the best teachers are, are, are students, right? So I became a student of it. And then I started to realize, I started, I sat back and I said, wait a minute, I really wish I would have knew this 30 years ago, right? When I was on division, you know, this would have helped me to understand the concept because, but, you know, I was good. Like Ms. Johnson taught me long division, third grade teacher, Russell Soul taught me long division. And 
But if I'd also learned, you know, if the curriculum had called for us to do some other methods like partial quotients or the box method, or even like on my, on my YouTube channel, I talk about, you know, cause I try to stay very cultural, culturally responsive. Um, I talk about comedic division, you know, some, and like comedic multiplication, right? So even like just different methods of just seeing like how we can divide in different ways, right? Which I think Common Core like creates room for that, um, for people to like, you know, have different, have different um, approaches because what you'll realize is when you become more fluent in mathematics generally, you start to recognize, okay, what is the most um, beneficial approach to the problem based upon how the problem looks? Mm. Problem looks this way, okay, this is what I should do, right? Or if the problem looks this way, this is what I should do. And again, take it back to the video games. Let's say it's a fighting game, right? Fighting game, um, your, your, your person in the game, your character in the person has like four different weapons, right? That they can access. So then as a gamer, you got to make a decision. Okay, should I use the knife, the gun, the, the pistol, the machine gun, the bazooka? Like, what should I use based on who I'm up against, right? Mm -hmm. So the, that approach and thought process can be applied in math. But what often happens is, like with us coming up, we learned one way to do the problem. And we had that one way all the time. So then it's like, well, but there's another much more efficient way to do this problem based on how this particular problem is set up. But we didn't know that way. So if Common Core is done effectively, then what it should do is empower children to have multiple weapons. And it's like, okay, now, and, and, and also have enough practice to have the confidence to be like, okay, I see how this problem looks. Okay, for this problem, I'm about to use this method. Oh, but then number two looks like this. Okay, number two, I'm not using that method. I'm gonna use this other method. And then number three, number three looks different from one and two. So I'm, I'm gonna use this other method. And now number four, okay, number four looks like number two. So I'm going back to that method now, right? And also even like as a child or as a, a child, you know, teenager, grown adult, having that be that 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 um, ability to discern when you should apply a certain method is very important. You know, a lot of people don't have that type of discernment. And again, this is a transferable skill. So this is something that you might unbeknownst to you be developing in a while you're in math class in sixth grade, seventh grade and whatnot. And then what happens is one day you're like, you know, you're a grown man or a grown woman. And then you're in a situation where you can discern you're at a job or you're out in public and you can discern, you know, okay, if this is a good idea or if this is not a good idea, right? Because you practiced that skill in math class and it was kind of embedded within you. You didn't realize that's what you, that's what you were learning. You didn't realize it at the time, but it just, you know, you, you you tend to approach information a certain way and make decisions a certain way, unbeknownst. You know, and I will say this to, to another point you were making. I wanted to add this as well about the vocabulary and math being a language. I'm, yep. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I one of my main major regrets in, from early in my teaching career is that I didn't approach math vocabulary in the same way that an English teacher would, mm -hmm. or the foreign language, a Spanish teacher, or a Yoruba teacher, or you know, Kiswahili teacher would, because there's so many terms. And this is something that like us as math teachers, we, you know, we're, sometimes we're horrible at this. We take for granted that a child knows what ter terminology that's very basic to us. We take yeah. for granted they know it. And sometimes you got to just really just, you know, like I said, like, you know, in Spanish, Spanish class, you got to translate the sentence, translate this from math language to English language. Or even slang. That's why a lot of times in my in my classes, 
you know, my students will tell you, they can attest to this, even in, in my video content. I'm a, I'm a heavy advocate of the use of vernacular and slang because I just, I want you to understand it, right? And, but I also want you to know the so-called sophisticated formal language that right, right. You know, the people from NCTM would say, oh, this is how you describe this, right? I want you to know that language, but I also want you to know it in a way that, you know, makes sense to you. Because when I'm reading math textbooks, even when I was a student and even now as a teacher and a professor, I'm still translating it in my head like, oh, like, you know, and I, you know, I grew up in Baltimore, but I've been in Philly for almost the last 20 years. So I'm like, what I've, and I've been, I started teaching in Philly. So, you know, I'm constantly like reading textbooks and I'm like, okay, so what you got to do is you take this John and move it over to the other side of the equation and then divide it by the other John. And I'm, and I'm, that's how that's going through my head. Right. So I'm expecting students and young people here in Philly where I live that are also experiencing this process and trying to learn math that I want them to be able to use their everyday language and their vernacular and their slang in order to make sense of what's in this textbook, you know, which is also why another reason why I wrote uh, all the why, how to use all this math volume one, because I'm kind of building up toward creating textbook content and workbook content yeah. because I realized that you know, it's, I don't need to be a middleman because like, why should Come I on now. Come on now. translating these other books when I could just write the book myself and then it doesn't need to be translated. Right. Mm. We often do a lot of a lot of teachers that are like, you know, that are culturally responsive. We end up translating the book. Ooh. And then yes. I, like, well, why we got to translate the book? Why don't we just write our own book? If we write our own book, then our language and the language of our students will be the primary language. And then, you know, what's what becomes secondary is them understanding, okay, well, this is what, well, okay, the this other textbook, this more popular textbook is gonna say it this way, right? As opposed to vice versa, where we kind of privilege that other language in the other textbook because we read that book first. Mm. You just tapped into that invisible tax of black teachers where we take the content and then we have to mesh it up. And, and it's funny because as an English teacher, people expect the English teacher to talk in a certain way. But when we're discussing stories and when we're discussing plots, you know, I'm using how, you know, I'm like, so this character was like, it is what it is. So let's talk about why this character made this choice and why they developed in this way. But, you know, but I also teach them how to answer the question appropriately in mm -hmm. standard English. But like real talk, when we're just talking, we're not going to go and switch over to standard English to explain the situation or story. We're just going to talk how it is. And then if we're doing a presentation, so I really teach kids about the registers of language when we use certain voices and also being comfortable of sliding back in. When I first started doing professional development, I really felt I had to use a certain register of language. But now I'll be in standard English to slide right into some vernacular and slide right back because that's like my actual real life lived experience. And that's the way I can best communicate the information. So I really appreciate you lifting that up. And also, yes, make those textbooks because you're so right about that. A lot of us make content or re, you know, re smash content. And also like white folks have been doing this for a minute because I was just saying earlier today during a PD, um, I was talking about Kagan strategies. And um, and is um, husband and wife team, and I and all Kagan strategies are is cooperative learning. I said all they did was take cooperative learning and write out how you can do it and get in the direction, package it, and so and sold it. 
So people have been doing this for years. So why don't we sit down and do it? Why do we keep being the <laughs> right? So and, and to that to that point about mm-hmm. the about language, because I think what often happens is um when you have power, right, you're able to have the definitions, right? Mm-hmm. So this is you know one of my intellectual heroes, Kwame Torre, right? So this okay. is speeches from the 1960s and 1970s entitled Stokely Speaks. Um, his birth name was Stokely Carmichael, right? But um, in the first chapter, it's a transcript of a lesson that he was giving in a freedom school while he was in SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, in the night in Mississippi, as he was well, in one of his summers while he was a college student. And he was talking to these young brothers and sisters that were in the freedom school and they were like from rural Mississippi and they didn't speak the so-called standard English. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was talking to them about, you know, well, the people at Harvard, you know, we're taught to think of them and their language as the standard. Mm-hmm. But he was talking to them about the fact that it's really just a function of power, because if you all had control of your know, institution here in Mississippi, then and the, then the way you talk would be the standard. And then a person from Harvard, that person from Harvard that talks like how a person from Harvard is expected to talk, if they come in here, then their way of talk is going to be seen as secondary. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it. Like y'all went in it again, that's that that become here we expose the difference oftentimes in the culture where between cultures, our culture is not going to necessarily um, marginalize the way that person from Harvard speaks. However, but the way uh, Western society is set up. The person from Harvard is definitely going to try to mar- mar- typically marginalize those young bro- those young boys and girls in Mississippi because you know they may not they're not speaking the King's English they'd be considered you know rural or country or backwards but he was trying he really and he it showed how he effectively conveyed to them this idea that you know it's really just a function of power there's nothing wrong with the way that y'all talk it's just that you know people that are in power they're trying to enforce upon you this idea that that your way of talk is, is less intelligent. Um, it's, it's not, um, it, 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 you know, it's, it's inappropriate. It's, it's not formal. Um, but again, there's that, that like hidden power dynamic, you know, in all of this, you know, even in the math textbook, it's like, okay, they write the math textbook like this, they explain the problems like this. And then, and I'm like, you know, so, so, and I, I love when I'm in a teaching situation and I explain something and it don't even sound like anything like what's written in the book. And then the child blurts out, why, in, why didn't you just say that then? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, exactly. Why didn't you just say that then? Because that's not how they talk. But I'm going to tell you how this should be explained or how you can make sense of it. And once you can make sense of it, then we can get into doing the work. So, you know, but it's a lot of, you know, it's definitely a lot of overlaps, um, um, in terms of like you know reading the english language and mathematics and how math is 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 really a language you know like the person commented and because there's so many symbols in math and then um so many you know operational symbols and then also contextually there are differences like in this certain scenario a parentheses might mean this thing it might mean multiplication over here in this problem but this other problem it's just actually it's more like it's, it's parenthetical kind of like in the english language like when we get into functions and we say f of x, but if a child has never seen a function before, they might say, "Oh, this says f times x," because they don't know. So it's like a like an issue of code switching. You know, I often talk about how you know in, in the black community, you know, when you say just the phrase "you good," right, as a question, it can mean different things depending yep. on 
circumstances. It can mean a concern for your well-being, or it can mean, you know, I feel threatened by you, and I'm letting you know that, you know, I might have to, you know, deal with you like they dealt with the, dealt with them people down in in Montgomery, Alabama, the other day, you know. Um, so, but but you have to you have to understand the context of the the terminology and the symbols in the math problem. The same way we got to do when we're using the English language, because one thing one symbol might mean something totally different depending on how the problem is set up, you know. But all that and all that has to be learned, you know. So a lot of yep. it, not knowing the symbols, not knowing the language. Once I explain to you the language and the, and the terminology and the definitions behind it, then, and then you and then if you can speak intelligently about it as a student, about that language and about that terminology, then it's like okay, cool. Now we can now we can get to the business of actually doing the problems. But it definitely is a language barrier a lot of times, you know. Yeah. Well, Kill, um, it has been great, great chatting with you. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Tell everybody how they can um, connect with you um, with all this math on all the places that all this math can be found. So uh, tell tell them where they can uh, stay connected with you. Definitely, I definitely enjoyed this conversation, and you can reach out reach me at the website allthismath.com. Also, our YouTube channel um, is at, just go on YouTube and type in at allthismath. Also on the social media sites, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, um, at allthismath. Um, I'm also Akil Parker on, on Facebook as well. You can contact me um, there as well. And, um, you know, check out, check out the book. The book is on sale on Amazon right now. Am I able to talk about that or no? Yeah, talk about the book, yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> I know some platforms you're not able to uh, discuss that, but uh, the book, How to Use All This Math, Volume 1, uh, it's a picture it's supposed to be me and my daughter, Asada. She's in a lot of the, the video content. Once you go to my YouTube channel, I have a lot of videos with her because, you know, I'm really just showing, you know, people that, you know, in addition to the fact that, you know, I'm a math teacher and a math professor, I'm primarily, before all of that, I'm a father and mm. I ability to my children. So a lot of things that I teach her, just like I taught my oldest son, Nassim, who's about to go to college in two weeks. Um, and I'm in the process, I'm going to be teaching my four-year-old son, Kwame. You know, uh, I'm just sharing it with the world. So I'm sharing it with the people. And I'm also modeling for parents how you too can teach your son or your daughter in similar ways to me, you know? And, and you don't have to, you know, when you, and if you watch one of the videos, you don't have to think that it's like a script that you got to stick to, you know? It's like, it's meant to give you a guide and then, you know, you could take this piece and maybe you don't use another piece or maybe, you know, the way I speak with my daughter might not be as effective with your daughter or your son. And, you know, it's cool. But I'm just I'm also trying to model how we as black people can feel confident with teaching our own children math, because I want another goal. I have a, a long term goal is I want people to feel as comfortable with helping their children with math homework as I am. And well, because I do this for a living and I do it every day. Right. Um you know, just like somebody that was a, you know, a Hall of Fame basketball player will feel comfortable helping his son, you know, with basketball. You know, somebody that was a barber will feel comfortable, you know, giving his son a haircut. You know, um, I want people to feel that way with mathematics. And so I'm trying to show people that, you know, it can be done and that we, we are, we're out here and we're, and we're doing it, you know. Well, thank you so much, Akil. I'm I'm glad you uh, stopped by Brazen Education. Please make sure you check out his book on Amazon. Go to the website, All This Math. Um, 
all across social media is at all this math. And also, as she said, you can follow on Facebook at Akil Parker. Um, so thanks uh, so much. And this is our first conversation about math on um, this podcast, but it will not be our last um, because um, I always ask people, what topics have we not covered yet that you really want us to cover? And math has repeatedly come up. Um, so when I, I saw one of his videos, I said, who is this brother? Let me, let me, <laughs> let me reach out. So um, I'm so glad I did uh, because look, I, I, I got kids kids too. And I want to be able to continue to teach my own kids some math. So I appreciate you putting out resources um, that all parents, even parents like me, um, can use. So <laughs> thank you so much. Definitely. Definitely. Thanks for having me.